Aloha family. Today's episode we have a um, Pai Villarasa. Pai, I have a few people that I consider as my true teachers, mentors, and daily inspiration. Um, I met Pai while living in Bali just before Bianca and I started our journey of hosting retreats for transformation and healing for others after learning that it was actually not that hard once you to heal once you learn the the right techniques and surrender to the infinite um Bianca and I were doing our first fast and it was a coconut water fast it started as a green juice fast but Soon we decided to switch to coconuts. It made more sense. Simple is better. And um, we just felt great. We felt high on life. Anyways, um, on a Tuesday night, which I perfect, I remember perfectly, we were planning our retreats and, and Bianca said that there's this modality called inner dance and that we should definitely add that to our offering. Um, shortly after I said, I don't want to invite a facilitator. Something in me said, you have to learn how to facilitate this. Even though I've never experienced, Bianca had experienced that two years ago in Bali and it changed her life in a pivotal moment of her life. Anyways, next day we go to Cool Cool Farms, which is the farm of the son of green school in Bali and we went there just uh, to hang out because we had become friends throughout the time and while I was fasting every third every yeah every once a week there was um open day for guests and friends to come and tourists to come and visit a permaculture farm and I was in the kitchen helping to prepare food for that day, even though I was fasting. And long story short, I um, I ended up overhearing one of the ladies that was there volunteering that day, that she was from Philippines and she was a raw food chef. And I asked her like, oh, are you from the Philippines, right? Uh, I wanna go, I was just checking yesterday night a retreat center called Bahakalipai and an eco village called Maya and um, yeah, I want to go because I want to learn inner dance. I want to meet Pai. And she starts laughing. And I'm like, what's so funny? And she's like, well, Jose, that place, Baja Calipai and Maya Eco Village, is, it's ours. And Pai it's, it is sitting right there. And I like, I almost dropped. Because what are the odds that the... Founder of Inner Dance and his wife, um, Daniel, were just visiting um, Bali that precise week. And exactly that day after, after even for the first time hearing about Pi and Inner Dance, he was there in my backyard, so to speak. By the way, after being a while in Bali, I end up realizing that it's pretty normal in Bali for things to manifest like that. 
once you surrender to the infinite, once you trust, and once you're present, because there's always answers to our questions, but we have to be present. And I think that's what fasting made me do. Um, so I, I just approached Pai, we chatted, and he was offering one of the last energy school teacher trainings that he was going to offer for a while. And he was kind enough to invite Bianca and me. And that's where our journey began. And I'm sharing this because I had a beautiful experience on my first inner dance session with him. It was as similar as an ayahuasca experience. So it was pretty mind-blowing to be honest I, I felt all my chakras my energy body was it was it was really crazy but I'm telling you this story because I remember and this just came up not too long ago in a retreat with some people that we were working that they asked me like didn't you like I'm freaking out after learning that there's this whole new side to life didn't you freak out when you learned that you were gonna be doing this and this brought to my attention, this story that I'm sharing with you guys, that after my first dinner dance session, and we, well, I think it was two weekends, we finished we finished our inner dance course, and we went home, and I freaked out. And I think, I don't know if I have shared this with Pai, but I, I was in the kitchen, and then I almost started crying. Or maybe I started crying. I, I don't remember quite well. But uh, I told Bianca, Bianca, like, I don't want this to be my life. I want to be traveling and having fun and enjoying life in a different way. I don't want to be dealing with people's problems and seeing them go through catharsis and going through their own awakening and being there to support them because it's 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 some heavy shit. Excuse my, my French. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a moment of, being completely lost, I was like, okay, the, I have been led to this point in my life. It appears to be that I'm prepared because that's why I was able to join the course. There were no more spots and pie. Uh, when he looked at me and Bianca, he's like, you guys are fasting, right? We're like, yeah, he's like, you guys have to come to the teacher training. Um, and I'll tell you why he said that about fasting. But um, yeah, it was, I, was, I was pretty shocked to know that or to have picked into my what would be my life, sharing my time, supporting others, supporting myself, and being in a path of healing, deep, deep healing, and seeing people lose their minds and find themselves or completely disintegrate. Anyways, so yeah, there was there was fear in the moment, but um, it was it was just that night. The next day, I woke up and like, yeah, I'm doing this. It feels good. It feels like the right thing. This is my path, or at least it's my path for now, because I don't like feeling restrained that this is going to be forever and ever, right? Nothing's forever, I believe. Um. So now about Pi, because we didn't get to chat too much about his uh, whole story during the interview. He, he was um, working in marketing in LA, and he kept hearing this voice inside of him, telling him that he had to do certain things. And then he actually mentions in the interview that he met a Mexican, uh, mysterious Mexican guy in the mountain in California that told him that he will have to go to this island in the Philippines and 
be by himself and he kept thinking that he was going crazy he th said I'm losing my mind um, and then he went back to the Philippines and he still tried to go against that inner calling but he ended up walking throughout Philippines all over the place he was lost he people thought that he had lost his mind his family whatnot and he ended up in this small island of of Palawan I think the name was Baja Calipai which later on gave the name to his retreat center and that's where he spent about two years by himself with a dog and a cat um, completely remote location eating and surviving from coconuts and bananas but when people think oh oh yeah I could do it coconuts bananas well he had to climb up for the coconuts it's not that they were just hanging around you, if you want to get a green coconut which has um, green flesh and uh, lots of water you have to climb up for them so he had to learn to do that uh, bananas he had to be scavenging for bananas but um, also he had to feed his cat and his dog so he said even those days that I said I'm I'm not eating I'm not putting the effort into climbing up the coconut tree he still had the responsibility of those two beings he during throughout that uh, process he said he lost his mind multiple times many 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 times and he found himself and then he will go into catharsis into into craziness uh, he started channeling or manifesting like permaculture skills and making mandalas with all the debris and the compost that he had gathered from his own um, diet like coconut shells and banana peels and after two years he start he he decided to go back he was called back into civilization and people would just drop into catharsis when they will get in touch with Pi and that's when he uh, started learning that he could actually use this modality that had helped him or not he didn't channel it but he embodied this modality while being by himself in isolation and he was able to start applying it in others and people started flocking from all over the Philippines and he will be doing sessions from 6 a.m. to 12 midnight all day all day all day thousands of thousands of people and slowly he started to to acknowledge that he needed more personal time and down the road he founded um, Baja Calipai which is a raw food detox retreat in Palawan beautiful place healing super humane run by beautiful beings um, I actually volunteered some time there and then he also uh, created Maya Eco Village, which is also in Palawan. For me, still, it's it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, and it's near a beach that it's it's magic. I'm from Mexico, and this beach is still among my top three beaches in the world. But this eco community, um, it's beautiful. It's a great place to go, to disintegrate, to create, to share, to be in community, to be heard, to be seen, and to feel, to feel alive. It seems like that place is a portal on this planet that you see that you can actually finally see throughout all these veils and um, anyways this is my story with Pi this is why it was so important so special for me to be able to interview Pi and share with you his interview I hope you get you get inspired as I did and um, and keep living your life of purpose.
Here I let you with the interview. This is Urban Awakening, and I'm Jose Reynoso. Today we have Pai Virasa. Um, welcome, Pai. Thank you, Jose. So good to be here. Um, so, uh, why? Uh, how how is it living in, in Philippines, by the way? Now, how how is uh, the whole situation with uh, Ukraine president and and uh, <laughs> just that life life in Philippines? You know, for some people from the West, it's just like mm. this tropical tourist uh, location. <laughs> uh, but uh, how how is life there? Um, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I appreciate so much. Um, the the many elements that um, make logic and maybe break logic. Um, the Philippines is an archipelago of 7,107 islands. And so you can imagine the mentality of the diverse, you know, like um, the consciousness of the many that is um, having to deal with concepts of identity. So I'm sure a lot of people hear about the Philippines and um, images come to mind for me. I celebrate my being a Filipino based on exactly the psychology of the tropical. Um, things are more, so much more relaxed and at the same time seemingly um, dysfunctional from a Western standpoint. But from being here, um, there's a lot of heart and there's a lot of openness that. Um, to us looks like just a very flowing way of being. So um, I guess um, being in the Philippines right now based on the awakening experience, um, the spiritual process, I, I wouldn't be, I couldn't be happier, I think. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, it's, I think uh, you sum it up pretty well. Like uh, it's uh, it has that uh, relaxed feeling, but at the end, at the same time, it has that energy, that momentum that uh, you can find in everybody's smile and eyes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've 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 been captivated ever since I was in Philippines. Maybe because I'm Mexican, and I think we're so similar. I think as as you once mentioned, we we were together in Pangea or something, and and we're. You, sometimes you could not differentiate a Filipino than a than a Mexican. Mm. Um, and uh, so, how like uh, Philippines uh, has a growing number of uh, travelers that are also going for spiritual reasons, uh, but yeah. at the same time, you have a, a political force that is actually creating uh, such pressure suppression. At the same mm. time, uh, do you do you feel that at the same time? Mm. I like the fact that you bring this comparison between Mexico and the Philippines. Um, this always probably interests a lot of people. Like, what could that be? <clears throat> I mean, the Philippines is the largest Catholic nation um, in Asia. And, um, you know, maybe Mexico might be probably the biggest, um, if not one of the biggest in South America. And uh, uh, traditional, but also um, 
there's a lot of meeting points between the East and the West that happens in places like here, where um, the energy isn't so much just um, cre creative or um, um, positive, but it's the energy of the rupture or where things are being seen to undergo um, a breakage or an interruption of consciousness as we normally feel things are normal. So um, to have grown up in Southeast Asia, which is so exposed to many disasters, you know, like typhoons are quite common here, even earthquakes, um, political crises. Um, there's an intuitive understanding that these are actually what leads to the most transformations where in fact transformation becomes the norm that we don't even conceptualize transformation because the actual norm is about change and about um, be, um, being in a flow state as opposed to something more rigid. Mm. Mm, yeah so we could even say that uh that um that political pressure and those disasters are the are the uh pushing force for that uh, awakening that is happening uh in the mm. east or in the philippines especially right yes i mean um when you look at the asia for example um uh, there are basically three main regions so you have east asia where you might find the chinese the koreans the japanese and then you have the, the South Asians, um, which are basically like the Indians, people from Sri Lanka, Nepal. Now, when you look at Southeast Asia, <clears throat> this is an interesting region. I just read a book whereby uh, a political historian notes that there's maybe now a larger economic standing within Southeast Asia than the whole of Europe. Oh, wow. um, like some from out of nowhere, these tiger economies huge populations are beginning to find its own, um, hold power, hold structure, um, and begin to um, mature in different stages. So uh, the Southeast Asian is very much the merging of the South and the East in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, the Global South or the Oriental East and um, I find that very interesting. I don't really have, I think, that much space to go over the historical or cultural implications of what I'm saying here. But um, there's a meeting point between the East and the West that takes place, uh, especially in these islands. So that to say, I met you in Bali, for example, or there are these islands people go to where uh, the mind seems to be a lot more open. Mm. Uh, um, I, I feel people get attracted to these places primarily because um, here's where cu cultures as we used to know it are breaking at a very accelerated pace and we are seeing ourselves becoming each other almost where there's like a universality in culture, language, ways of thinking and being. Mm. Mm, well, yeah, um, I definitely find that... Uh, Bali or all those islands that you mentioned uh, throughout Southeast Asia, uh, they just uh, uh, they just call 
travelers and human beings from all over the world and without uh, a precise why people are are going there and they're they're going through their own transformation um it could be almost like um it's it could be a theory but i think it's uh as you mentioned once that it's uh, what's the role of philosophy in the spiritual awakenings and i think we uh, you could develop more about uh upon this yeah okay uh yeah i would love to um i think primarily one of the easiest openings to understand why um these tropical island um, states are hosting um, transformations of the sort would have to do with um, finding the right conditions where um, the accelerations could happen almost um, naturally or automatically, organically. And um, I think before philosophy or even before theory, the most visible would have to do with um, the, the brain, you know, like the global brain or uh, planetary consciousness from a neurological point of view. Um, we, we find ourselves veering away from stages of fight or flight or uh, anxiety, um, even doubt, um, skepticism. And uh, it opens us up, just um, being closer to um nature and the natural so yeah i really do find uh philosophical inquiries taking place here that are almost especially emergent coming from younger sections of society for example that are asking age-old questions uh, about um who are we where did we come from so um, especially where, let's say, there's so many experimentations as to expanding or altering states of consciousness, um, where human beings are beginning to remember many things that go beyond the personal or the subjective. They're beginning to create more room, create more space for um, even they're articulating so many of them the, the consciousness of the earth or the mentality of the planet where everything seems to interconnect in mysterious but non-mysterious ways there's so much pattern recognition so much um new ways of languaging um certain things that used to be a lot more constructed and a lot more separative I'm quite excited about this, I think, um, to begin to observe now more than ever um, in an almost hyper-intelligent way uh, where a lot of these are coming into very similar stages, no matter whether some of, these, some of this work happens in Bali or even in Singapore, the Philippines or Thailand, or, or places like Goa, you know, or Ibiza. Um, there seems to be common areas that people are realizing are actually quite major advances in the way we're beginning to understand thought in the way that it works or consciousness mm. from a metacognitive point of view, like um, like consciousness becoming conscious of itself. Wow. Uh, mm. um, so it's almost like um, we, we live... Um, like um, I keep moving from cities to 
to small towns, to small islands. I was just in Ibiza not too long ago. Now I'm back in the mountain and I go to the big city like Madrid. And I find like everybody's like uh, running like crazy in their like in their fight or flight mode. And it feels like uh, as you were saying that when you they go to Bali or or Copangan or or Singapore uh, places like this, uh, they just uh, go to their parasympathetic, and I think that allows the spiritual self to manifest. And it's really interesting, but because it feels like your uh, your perspective and the way you're um, you're utilizing philosophy and theorizing about this, it's you you're being able to tap into the recipe for for the spiritual self to manifest and, and for creativity and for healing to, to, to happen in, in human beings. Mm. Um, yeah. It, it's something I'm careful in approaching um, because uh, we have to understand maybe that there are always um, different stages at work. So mm-hmm. when people hear about some of these conceptualizations of, trying to understand exactly what is happening um, uh, in these many different dimensions of be- being here on earth, whether it be from a deconstructed point of view or a constructed point of view. Um, being Southeast Asian primarily or being even like Filipino, coming from uh, a historical way of understanding education, which wasn't always a wonderful experience you know mm-hmm. um it 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 took a long time for me myself to understand my own mind and um there was a lot of realizations and insights that needed to happen where i had to own up to not just my subjective experience of my mind but from the collective experience which is maybe basically more common in the global South or in the Orient where um, ego doesn't really operate as much here as in the West. There's more of a group consciousness at work whereby um, in the spiritual experience, I'm very fascinated by, um, I think, growth in general. Mm -hmm. How I think both of both of us, you and me, and many people we know, understand how some people are able to go into such a deep, profound um, domain. Uh, we might call this a zero point, where people begin to experience the loss of memory or even consciousness from the subjective point of view, where people can't speak very much, they, they're unable to access linear thought. And sometimes it leads to a blissful confusion where uh, there seems to be a way of understanding things the more we don't understand it. Well, yeah. Uh, you know? And mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're trying to express this. And sometimes these experiences last for a long period of time. Um, it doesn't last for just days, but some people stay in these for a long, a very long period. Um, in developmental psychology, um, Levigotsky describes this zone very acutely. He calls it the zone of proximal development. And he speaks about how babies or small children need to belong to a certain circle um, where 
learning progresses in a very, very organic way. But every time they leave that zone, um, they, they basically jump too far ahead of their learning curve. And what I find interesting is when people go into spiritual experiences, there are also ways in which they begin to access the childlike mind, um, which isn't just the mind of the person child, but all, almost the, like the child mind of the universe or the child mind of the earth where um, c concepts do not precede um, experience. It's almost like there's a pre-knowing or a precognition of um, life as we understand it. And it's almost like learning takes place only when we understand it. I already knew this prior to my coming into awareness of it. I think people need some levels of support upon entering these zero points, um, mm -hmm. very empty states uh, where they don't really go through growth scenarios, but more of a concept of regrowing. Like uh, going back to the baby, mm -hmm. though you don't lose your sense of having gone through uh, a journey into adulthood, but what is it like to regrow yourself back into a different way of languaging, a different way of thinking or perceiving? Mm. Um, uh, I can't stop thinking about what you mentioned earlier about uh, that um, some some people go into a state of of like being lost and like even not having the right words or or just going silent. Uh, it feels uh, that when when we forget or when we get lost, we can start channeling mm. the source. No, it's like uh, there's no more filter. We we just it, you know, and almost words don't don't even matter, and uh, they don't even exist. Um, um, but yeah, it's really interesting about uh, going back into babies because in the into like the baby stage or uh, early age stage, because uh, in the work I do with uh, with the bufo, uh, the sacred medicine from Mexico, that's what happens. People go and into into their like in, they explode and then they come up as, as babies. And it's really important in that uh, ground zero that's, uh, to, to be supported. Yes. Because they're so vulnerable because they're, they're, they're pure, they're source, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, really interesting that uh, you're finding the same in your, in your own work and in, in the Philippines. I feel that there's an interesting um, reflexivity that, needs observation um, that looks at maybe the human experience. And mm -hmm. I think what these baby uh, or child mind mentalities that begin to occur in so many people around the world that are experimenting not just with um, plant medicine, but uh, these are beginning to happen even with mild impetus, mild um, urgings into pathways of spirit it just accelerates different massive massive openings it's a reflexivity between uh, very human ways of trying to understand um, this despite that you're actually breaking apart your human conceptualizations um, we become 
closer to what we might um, name as consciousness and the memories that people are seeking to imply or articulate is almost proto or pre-human or the mm -hmm. post-human. So th there's like a stretching out of the mind that begins to remember. And um, I feel that it the, the work that needs to happen then isn't so much the zones between these two polarities, whether we see these zones as the human or that which is meta-human or beyond human, which you might call universality, which you might call Mother Gaia. Uh, there are just too many names to describe it. Mm -hmm. God, the, you know, uh, the Brahman. Uh, it, it's maybe more of pointing out the actual work is happening in the point in between, like the becoming human of that which is non-human or meta-human or the becoming metahuman as a human, uh, there's almost like um, another state of knowing that serves as a mediation or a bridge that um, is a kind of translation that I feel some or a lot of people are actually on the brink of. Um, I feel it's important to go into the marriage points between the East and the West mm -hmm. because... Um, there is a dance or a dynamic between the inner and the outer or the structural and that which breaks structure. I mean, when you look at the East where our practices um, are very inward and introspective, where when we pray to God, we sit down, we close our eyes and we, we empty out um, as opposed to the way people speak to creator in the West. They, clasp their arms and they speak to an entity like it was a sentient being mm -hmm. um, there, there's seemingly a very valuable interaction between these two understandings of um, the yin and the yang that I feel um, is exactly what um, these stages of growth are hearkening or harboring so, like, for example, Jose, um, one of the things I've been experimenting with and I've been in much um, passionate thought about is mm -hmm. the loss of language. Mm -hmm. I find that it's a very common experience that people lose uh, their capacities for comprehending or producing language when they go into very deep states. It's a literal occurrence whereby I've, I've observed some people very, very beautiful, amazing people um, not being able to speak even simple terms mm -hmm. uh, in the realms of philosophy or linguistics. Um, it, it, it was long ago where we understand that language occurs through time mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and the linear. And there's so many ways of understanding how we are breaking the linear and we're breaking mm -hmm. time as we perceive it. You know, time perception is a whole study of how people, depending on what they eat, pretending on how much they slept the night before, perceive time in different ways. If you live in a mountain or you live in the coast, you actually perceive time in a different way. Um, I think our experiences of spirituality is a way of understanding how time almost bends 
and in these time bending um, frames, varying frames, we're perceiving that um, people seem to start to even live in simultaneous domains, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or even timelines. And um, they seem to conjoin why people are unable to articulate. Um, it's because their their minds aren't exactly safely situated in just one ego or one mm-hmm. personality. They're beginning to become wave-like or become rhizomatic, which is a way of understanding forest systems as opposed to just being one leaf or one tree. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, like uh, I think it definitely reassures my... my um my thought of like we humans being timeless beings only if you are in in the right uh mindset i guess or or you're or you're uh, as you're saying like in a mu- multiple egos or um or uh even w- when you enter into bali you know times as you says it can change from beach to mountain and when you enter bali it's like it's it stopped in time it's a vortex and it's yeah. a bubble uh, yeah. Or yeah. when you go to Maya, when you go, every time I meet somebody that I, I know they need time, I go to Maya, time will stop there. There's no time. Yeah. There's no time. Mm-hmm. And you have enough time for everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it'll be pretty interesting uh, for um, our listeners to know, uh, because you've also gone through that state of being speechless and having no words, complete disintegration. Uh, could you just uh, touch a little bit upon yeah. How did you end up being where you are, and what happened? What what pivotal moment happened in your life uh, that made mm. you realize uh, all these deep insights that you're having? Mm. I want to describe two main stages that I've been dancing around in mm-hmm. throughout my whole life. Um, so I I grew up with a certain amount of trauma as a young child, um, growing up around a lot of shame. You know, being bullied when I was young, um, going through certain amounts of abuse. Uh, but at the same time, I grew up in a hyper-intelligent environment where um, being an introvert, I grew up with a lot of books. So to speak about language, I grew up around um, concepts, words. Uh, I used to be a speed reader as a child. Um, so I've always been maybe interested in how emotions and rationality also um, could join in a certain way. Uh, I think when people begin to experience energy and the emotional construct that happens in waves in uh, different spiritual experiences, everything's just really just information, uh, how we store, how we let go, how we, uh, how we are infused with information in the body. Um, and so, uh, I've gone through very extreme waves of being introverted and extroverted, um, where I would go speechless for a long period of time. Um, I've gone into my long bouts of hermitage of not having other people to speak to. And I've gone into quite the opposite where I would. Um, be exposed to just just so many people um being someone who lives so much in the world of the energetic um i'm interested in 
very extreme channels. So for example, right now we're using the spoken word and we're sending sounds across um, waves of electricity. Um, and, and we're accessing each other's soul through mm-hmm. the spoken word or orality, oral tradition. Um, I'm interested in the opposite, which in anthropology you might call literacy, where we innovated the book. We started to store knowledge systems through uh, the medium of like um, published material, the library. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the accelerations that happen between mediums um, so that let's say now we're in the age of the digital where uh, it's hard to describe is it um, oral tradition or is it the extreme which is um, literacy I feel like in my own experience uh, there is a there's a dance between um the mediums that we've used over a long period of time, over millions of years, where we began with um, very basic humans gesturing to each other, moving around the world, beginning to ideate or conceptualize very, very basic notions of the world until we may have discovered um, how to paint. Uh, images on cave walls and then how we discovered the papyrus, how we began to use clay as a writing device, how we began to write on paper, how we began to publish books, how then we discovered computer. Um, I'm interested in where spiritual channeling exists in all these, where if spiritual awareness is actually just another kind of medium uh, an accelerated medium that creates so much multiple feedbacks in such a spontaneous real-time way. I, I, I feel we need to understand what exactly is happening in the mind, either physically where we are really beginning to understand what the brain is, brain is and how it actually works, or the mind from a non-physical, um, more conceptual point of view. Um, I, I find that there's a very rich discussion between understanding um, different binaries. So when we do speak about people who are losing knowledge as it is familiar to them, uh, knowledge in the form of li- linear time constructs or knowledge in the form of Western ways of um, asking questions, you know, when you look at the uh, insistence of having to define certain things. You know, you look at the definition, it's to define or make finite. Um, it seems almost that there's a way of defining things that isn't to make finite, but um, to make relational uh, certain objects that seem uh, separate from certain things. So I think when you describe these people who are unable to describe um, certain basic things that they know. This is food, this is a person, this is the beach, and, and so on and so forth. Um, they're beginning to understand language, not from an unfolding point by point, one moment at a time sort of way, but they seem to be accessing language from uh, a hyper forest-like 
um, grid or matrix where everything is just coming at them all at the same time in a simultaneity or a multiplicity. Um, it, it's a very slow growth process where to come back into the world as maybe another human being that adopts new personalities that uh, seem more courageous, that uh, embody embodies more wisdom, that is a, a, from a greater empathy or of a greater amount of compassion. Uh, um, just like a baby needs to expose itself to a lot of complexity before it starts to understand um, that, oh, that one is called this or that one is named that. Um, I, I see very, very similar modes of growth. Um, and I've been working with scientists and linguists and philosophers and um, educators uh, who are on the forefront of understanding this we are beginning to agree that um, we are actually only beginning to understand how authentic learning actually happens. That there's something in the spiritual experience that uh, is setting us up that it may only be now that we're actually really able to access a genuine amount of brain capacity. Uh, and, you know, you, when you hear the, the letters AI, maybe it's mm -hmm. not actually about artificial intelligence, but what is authentic intelligence? Mm -hmm. um, but to, I think, ground this, people in our generation, uh, we're seeing that one of the biggest breaks in the way psychology or philosophy has unfolded through the Western tradition is that there was a huge break between the mind and the body, which in philosophy, in the Cartesian, um, point of view we call the mind-body problem mm -hmm. uh, you know like there seemed to be a break so that uh, it's either uh, brain-based or biological um, that's where consciousness begins or do you understand it purely from a mental or spiritual point of view where everything is conceptual everything is transcendent of the physical there seems to be a healing between the break where a lot of young people are beginning to understand that um, we never really truly knew what the body was and that some, the awakening experience actually needs to happen there. That the body isn't really a physical construct, um, but, but it's real. And the way people are beginning to, for example, move around the space, um, the way they're beginning to position themselves, um, neurology and psychology is, for example, beginning to articulate that um, the basic levels or the first stages of cognition is actually about movement. Mm -hmm. When a baby begins to move around the space, uh, this is how knowing uh, originates. This is the genesis of knowing. Wow. So that, you know, um, so that when a child's movement is taken away, either when we go to school and we're asked, okay, sit down, <laughs> stop moving, uh, listen to the very militaristic person who is in front of you who is treating you like everyone else in a very mil militaristic fashion um we we lost authentic intelligence so i find that there's an there's huge excitement brewing intuitively people are realizing that um that there is no split between the mind and the body and the inhibitions the moralities the 
dualisms that have stated the body is evil, the body is bad. No, maybe if the body actually was a spiritual um, thing, mm -hmm. how would we re restart our awareness of it? So mm -hmm. dance, all of these ecstatic ways of moving about freely uh, is actually going to lead to a certain kind of genius or mm -hmm. brilliance. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it, yeah, it's very interesting because I've always said that like they, we uh, our parents uh, raise us, telling us like, come on, start 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 talking and start start moving, start crawling, and as soon as we learn how to walk, they tell us shut up and sit down. Mm. Uh, it's like mm. an accelerated mm. rate of learning, and then it just stops. We hit a wall, um, mm. yeah. and then of yeah. course with what you mentioned about the militaristic uh, mm. way of. Uh, teaching uh it definitely jeopardizes every all the momentum we were gaining when we were kids um and regarding movement i think it's you're so on point because uh in the past a few years i've been gaining a deep interest in movement i don't know if you heard about ido portal uh, it's uh, i consider him and many people consider him like the bruce lee of our times and he, he's traveled the world learning from all the masters, all kinds of uh, modalities of movement, uh, capoeira, kung fu, whatever, parkour. And, and I was just recently with him in uh, Lisbon, and people are having spiritual awakenings by moving. Because he said, we, we, uh, I, I was looking for masters, but I just, find, I just found specialists that they know how to move it, either in yoga or kung fu, but he uh, interlinked all these ways of moving to really move through the whole space. And I think mm -hmm. it, it's very linked to what you do, inner dance, which uh, I find that in inner dance, if we finally give ourselves uh, a break in, in time and space to really move and to allow our body to be, to express itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been observing just so many thousands of bodies over the past decade go into accelerated um, heightened states of awareness um, through movement. Their eyes are closed. Mm -hmm. They find their body cathartically moving on its own, even against their own will, uh, in shaking ways or in gentle ways, violent ways even. Uh, but what is common to many of them, whether it be in the East or the West, mm -hmm. is the um, fact that they start to see um, the world from within. Mm -hmm. There are symbols, there are images, there are metaphors. Um, so what I find deeply intriguing is how science itself is actually catching up with this insight in point that we are bringing up now. Like what does movement have to do with cognition or uh, perception, um, uh, creation itself? Um, like uh, going back to this question about, okay, what is it about the child mind state of humans? Um, I, I've been studying um, some interesting factoids around um, psychoanalysis and um, language philosophy that have been aware that there is a dream state that children go through during toddler years mm -hmm. um, where their mentality deals more with the symbolic realms as opposed to 
something like very real, uh, almost to the point that we're uh, the world had become rigid or the the world had become solid. Um, it's it's almost like when you see how children's eyes are so um, tacitly uh, attracted to cartoons. Mm-hmm. When when you speak about people who go into psychedelic states, for example, everything goes cartoon like. Everything gets pixelated, and your eyes go into uh, inception type dream domains where sometimes you're seeing color but or or certain images but these seem to condense uh, a host of or a network of so much information that are merely being represented by certain images or symbols that are bearing similarity to what happens in dream states Um, so um, I feel we are always going to be pointed back to um, the child mind which uh, is not just symbolic but it's spatial S-P-A-T-I-A-L not special Mm -hmm. but um, a a way of understanding uh, not the world through time but the world through space which is Mm -hmm. how actually people relate to spirit so much more than world Mm -hmm. um there, there's something about the way science and spirituality are starting to move together so that when you speak about this man who's making waves and um, pointing towards this, look at this, look at this thing about movement, uh, whether it be repressed, conditioned, programmed, Pavlovian ways of looking at behaviorist rewards and punishment styles. Of, you know, like people should move, but it should be according to the way they should move. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the spontaneous movement arising in the Kundalini awakening, the awakening of the Shakti, divine feminine um, uh, tradition in India or in Africa or in China or in the Philippines, in Indonesia, that have actually always understood that um, embodiment. I mean, you know, like what do you actually embody, which isn't necessarily the personality or the story uh what is the larger narrative that is um beyond just what you remember that is stored um like uh <clears throat> I'm, I'm amazed at just how much gratitude for example arises in these ecstatic um experiences where along with these simultaneous ways of receiving just so much uh, memory there is an awareness of how it seems to fit in together so that though there doesn't seem to be a linear understanding uh, of how things are the way they are there is nonetheless this non-linear understanding that I feel like I understand how everything fits together in relationality almost um, this gratitude almost helps us to perceive that uh, there is an understanding generally in the gestalt of how everything in the past has led up to this. That mm-hmm. all, all, everything in the past became the conditions of possibility that allows for the present moment to be what it is. Uh, the movement seems to tie it all together somehow. I, I, I dislike 
the word dance so much because we have so many preconceptions of dance as mm-hmm. an artistic expression. But, but as a spiritual cognition, a lot of us understand dance more as um, a cosmic dance, you know, a cosmic permaculture almost where, um, you know, like the indigenous speak about the great grandmother's thread that weaves this complex tapestry we call earth together. And it's through these dream states that, uh, or psychedelic states or, you know, like the near death experience describes how we would suddenly in the flash of a second, see the big picture. You know, they say we will, um, see our whole lives flash before our very eyes in an instance um, of a second. Uh, how is it possible that you can look at a whole life in a second? But nonetheless, this is what people describe as a time perception when we have broken away from the linear language space, mm. ways of understanding the real. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's something... Um, that I'm still understanding to this point. And when I think I got it, I get a new insight that I'm like, no, no, there's still so much to navigate into it. Uh, it's like an endless uh, wormhole. Um, and um, you, lots of the work you do, now you're going more into the science uh, um, field and philosophical field, but um, you, you brought inner dance uh, to us, or you made us remember inner dance. And when people hear inner dance, we always get this reaction. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get my comfortable clothes for dancing, whatever, because <laughs> of that preconceived idea. And we had so many sessions of inner dance, people showing up, ready to <laughs> dance in that way. And to their surprise, they end up dancing in a, in a very, very deep way. And maybe in a catatonic uh, way, they didn't even move. You know, the ones that were they were coming for a dance party, they didn't even move. Um, yeah. uh, could you could you um, tell us what is inner dance? What what's inner dance? What's this process? Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, because t- today, yeah, still today, I have a hard time <laughs> explaining what inner dance is. You know, because mm-hmm. every time I go into my own process, I have a new way of defining because as you said it could it could restrict or it could limit what it is by putting words into it but sometimes i think words are needed to be able to share the overall uh, explanation of inner dance yeah okay i could speak from my own mm-hmm, please. because I, I don't like to limit um and any umbrella notion that i have the actual answer to this mm-hmm. um needing to stay humble uh, my own take would be um, I would have to look at my beginnings and my outcomes where I was beginning to describe my own childhood where mm-hmm. I tended to uh, be very bookish. You know, I, I read so much because um, <clears throat> my, my home uh, was very fear-based and so I couldn't actually even leave the house um, very often. So I had to be stuck with a lot of books. So I, I went into dream states in and through literature. Um, so when you look at inner dance, it's actually the opposite of being in uh, the energy of words. You, mm-hmm. you would go into the opposite of that. And for me, I mean, the first times I 
personally discovered the inner dance as a hermit when I wasn't speaking to people. When you're not exposed to conversations per se, there's something about not having to respond to people, whether they're asking you something or not. There's so much pressure or obligation to deal with the image, you know, the narcissisms, the 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 projections. So mm-hmm. when when no one's doing that around you, you you go into the most natural state possible. Um, so I would say I'm exposed to uh, polarities of that, and so when I went back to the world and sharing this phenomenon to others, where I watched other people go through the same experiences I did. Uh, it wasn't very hard to do that. I, I just knew how it would be done. And a lot of it would be through not words as the deeper context, but the context of sound, sound, you know, vibration. Um, sound is a language. Sound is a way of thinking. Um, sound is a way of resonating as opposed to analyzing. Um, the way my mind just happened was um, I traveled from being a subjective being into an intersubjective being. Um, you know, like trying to describe how people are beginning to understand time in a different way. It's almost like we're having to transform the way we understand history. Um, not only do we have a, a greater or Actually, that's paradoxical. Some people have less space for history or story as you know it. They just throw out the story so that change can happen. Um, In the stages of the process, you actually need to make your way back into time and history. It's almost like going into that zero point where you have to enter space, which is what people often figure as spirit. The irony there is there is inside space a history city of spirit. Uh, where you begin to remember not just the history of the person or the culture, but the history of the earth, the history of the universe, the history of the galaxy, the history of energy. So going through growth phases, um, you don't look at history itself, but you actually look at history of history itself. Let me repeat that. Mm -hmm. You start to look at the history of time in itself, like um, we're beginning to understand how time itself is being constructed. This might be a little bit too conceptual for a lot of people, but when people begin to experience that um, thing you call source, it, it's not you yourself that is thinking, but source itself begins to look at itself. Uh, it's like perception perceiving itself, consciousness becoming self-conscious. Pure awareness itself becoming self-aware. The, the questions that begin to arise aren't very personal anymore. It, it's as, as if consciousness itself becoming self-aware becomes curious uh, as to not so much who am I, but it starts to ask the question, what am I? Um, and, and that's, for me, the most interesting. Um, I, I'm actually quite bored in this activity of bringing people into very deep spiritual states because for me that's the easy part for me the more interesting and challenging part is how do you bring people who have achieved 
um, source and code and spirit self, how does that go back into uh, reality? And how does that, yeah, yeah, uh, integration, which isn't really going to be integrated as uh, a person per se, but you actually become integrated as a world Mm -hmm. view, uh, a paradigm, um, uh, you know, like a a network, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, an internet, uh, a a language as pure code. That's mostly all the languages coming together. Systems of interpretation, um, you know, translations of uh, not just language to language, culture to culture, but what is sound coming into image, image coming into uh, poetry. Uh, we, 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 we start to look at how the system itself is working until we realize that we are the system. Like I'm not just a being in the system, but the system inside me is uh, waking up. Uh, uh, so that's um, something that happens very slowly and um, it, without a community without the right conversations to help the, the being that is not a being mm-hmm. a person you know? now, what is the difference between human beings as opposed to being human being <laughs> that's, something, yeah. that's something to think about Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what is the what is the community and what are the conversations that allow uh, a mirroring for the impersonal, the intersubjective, as opposed to just the ego wanting mm-hmm. satisfaction mm-hmm. or satiation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something you are now um, working a lot, right? You have a eco like you have a eco community in, in Palawan, Maya Eco Village. And um, uh, that's something you, like, I, I see that it's very much needed. We need a place to, to be human as a human being, right? Um, yeah. And um, so what, what, do you, what do you see in, in, in your uh, uh, space in Maya? How do you see that people are trying to, to maybe open or free themselves or, mm-hmm. or integrate, as you said, not as a human being, but as a world? within that community. Okay, so one thing about Maya, because it's uh, located in Palawan, mm-hmm. um, in the Philippines, uh, I, I, I really had to understand inner dance, not just as the postmodern uh, or even post-postmodern phenomenon. You know, like I lived alone, away from all modernity, uh, all, all commerciality, anything that deals with the capitalist notions that we need to consume. Uh, it's also a post-colonial or a decolonialization um, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not just talking about the fact that uh, Mexico and the Philippines are colonized by Spain, India, mm-hmm. by Britain. Um, a philosopher uh, named Derrida said, once said that language itself is the first colonizer. And language wow. itself is going to be the first liberator. Mm-hmm. Um, when you come to Maya, there is a decolonization process at work. And uh, in post-colonial theory, there's an understanding that um, 
the post-colonized world or world trying to decolonize itself is just another way of historicizing the meta-narrative, you know? It's mm-hmm. um, looking at um, cultures or personalities whose voice was taken away, who was emotionally inhibited, who was given educational systems that uh, grew out of the temperate environments or climates that don't actually belong or are appropriate to tropical mindsets. Um, when you speak about Maya, then um, there's a slowness in the way we tackle uh, either easy or difficult problems. There is the need for uh, a lot of allowance, uh, compassion, or permission. Uh, there's a need to stay humble as well. Mm-hmm. Because when the deeper states of transformation do happen, um, ma- many things are bound to take place, uh, which needs to be enveloped in safety and um, non-judgment. So I feel Maya is a very good base, not just for others, but for me right now, um, where if Maya is a place that inner dance founded, uh, we cannot um, veer so much away from the original uh, principles or tenets upon which the emergence first happened about 12 or 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think people need to be treated like children, mm-hmm. but they also need to be treated like wise beings mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of space in between those. So, um, we're having to learn, I speak about, I mean, really, really learn from what we've been through as these memories of the past begin to come about in the way energy awakens in the body. So like, for example, I've been working with like some Filipinos who uh, didn't do so well in school or might have been emotionally bothered for long periods in their childhood coming into their adult life. Uh, but after myself having undergone uh, the many processes or stages that have been through and observing so many others go through the same, uh, there's a lot of affirmations and validations about um, these de- deeper ways of learning. Like, for example, I work with people who uh, get, got kicked out of school or mm-hmm. just really didn't do well. And now uh, they're working on really genius levels. You know, they're not Mm -hmm. just going out of their minds, but they're beginning to go inside their minds and uh, they're reading texts. They're they're able to grasp concepts that were very hard to put together, either as children or even as adult human beings. Um, There's a lot of joy in seeing this take place, like um, almost the mind of a planet, for example, or the mind... Because in Asia, in Southeast Asia or in East Asia, most especially, um, when you look at shame societies, societies that aren't similar to guilt states, where you might describe, the, you know, like Western Europeans, uh, not so much the Romantic language Europeans, like the Spanish or mm-hmm. the French, the Italians, but more of the more uh, autocratic, technocratic Western. European mindset or the American Australian ways of uh, analyzing or 
projecting. You know, those are what we might call guilt cultures, mm -hmm. which is low context cultures, people who are verbose, people who use language uh, in order to get to the bottom of things as opposed to the more emotional cultures that are nonverbal. Uh, I'm really happy to see cultures that were long embroiled in the nonverbal, uh, like in Asia, cognition is more embodied. So mm -hmm. words may not be the normative way of experiencing the world. It's more of the energetic, the meditative, the yogic, mm -hmm. or the, the emotional, you know, which was something very easy to colonize. I feel that um, <clears throat> the global south and the orient may be emerging only now, maybe emerging only now from the the void, you know, the yin, the mm -hmm. feminine, and are only discovering their masculine aspects. Um, so I think a huge part of the decolonization process is um, <clears throat> we were exposed to a lot of concepts and ideas, words that were alien to us, and we didn't really know how to relate to these because we didn't know what they were referencing. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like as people grow back into the world, um, there is a deeper way of understanding what is being referenced. And uh, um, now that we're more in equilibrium, where we can actually speak to each other, uh, not as one dominating the other, you know, one being more superior and whatnot, um, uh, th there could be a greater conversation between the left and the right hemisphere of the brain or shame and guilt cultures or low and high context uh, cultures, you know, uh, mm -hmm. time and space even. Um, so, so we, <clears throat> I think this is why we need to go back to history. Uh, another way of reading history, for example, um, another way of remembering, which is going to heal uh, the big picture. So I bring this up because in Maya, uh, there is a deep respect for, for the spiritual awakening, but there's a, also a high regard for stages of growth that need to bring this child mind back to school. Mm -hmm. So uh, not just through inner dance, but we hold a lot of dialogues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. go into Western, Eastern epistemologies, you know, we go into understanding the stages of orality and literacy so that exposing individuals, not just to personal or egoic, transpersonal psychological con conceptualizations, when you bring the anthropological or um, even the evolutionary, uh, like, for example, <clears throat> I think a meeting point between... Um, the like when you look at developmental psychology you're looking mostly at uh, what are the growth stages of the child but when you look at uh, the theory of evolution like what is the growth stages of uh, the world itself you know what is the consciousness of the world from the baby stages coming into adulthood if you would dare call us adults now <laughs> um, they don't seem to have meeting points but for the spiritual uh, awakener, there is actually a very deep uh, isomorphism, or they, meaning they share similar structures. The the child mind of the person actually shares very important features mm -hmm. of the child mind of the universe or or the earth. 
And when you're able to bring that together in a way that both are satisfied, something seems to slow down the runaway thinking train that is also always searching, always grasping. Um, mm. So in Maya, I think it's only recently in the last years where we were able to grasp how both the individual and the collective consciousness within the individual could be more deeply, gently supported. Mm. Like for me, it feels like uh, uh, in Maya, you're able to recreate almost uh, your experience of two years that you, you, you had while living in isolation in one of the beautiful beaches of Palawan, right? Like uh, people in Maya are mostly on living foods, uh, coconuts and bananas. And they, they go into um, silence for, for some time and then they go into, into their own uh, deep uh, internal conversation. But you're able to create uh, that environment for that uh, three-year-old, for that baby to be able to come back in a, in a way that they disintegrate at the same time they integrate into everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's true. Yeah, a lot of solitude happens here. But I think you're also realizing there's also a, a huge social dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, intelligence is a big word. Like, um, Do we really understand what intelligence is? And when we talk about certain things, do we actually understand what we're talking about? Mm -hmm. um, when you go into the realms of epistemology, which is the theory of knowledge, um, to really be able to access that, you need to start with ontology, which is the philosophy or the science of being. And so I really appreciate what you're saying here about how people need to go into the solitary experience um, that allows you to converse with the larger aspect of um, the I, you know, the you, the, the us, mm -hmm. the we. Um, I think a lot of the trauma that we're having to deal with is, um, uh, you know, when you look at the I am, which is being, uh, the, the deepest or most profound um, uh, experiences has something to do with um, existence. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a, we're, we're always looking for certainty. Uh, and so a lot of us have a trauma of being neglected you know, like mm -hmm. we weren't spoken to as our highest beings. We weren't spoken to as our authentic selves, which isn't actually a self, but an inter-self, you know, mm -hmm. like something that isn't an ego, but source, which is all beings put together, maybe. Um, so when we go inside and we start to experience it, oh my God, everyone, everything is inside me. Ontology being a philosophical construct, I feel describes well how uh, the I am could be synonymous with I actually exist. You know, mm -hmm. like if the fear of death would be the mother of all fears, when people go into that space where, oh, I, I exist, and, and no one can validate this for me, no one can affirm my, my valuation, my existence, my importance. Mm. I think then people can start to construct uh, their own knowledge structure, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is uh, an epistemology of the world. Like, um, how do you build from the, the, the source or the pure, 
the zero from a zone of proximal development? How do you slowly grow uh, into that? You, you, you can't actually stay with simplicity because in truth, the, the universe, uh, complexity doesn't begin to describe it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there, there's a desire to know. There is a desire to come to be what we actually truly are. And there, there's a sensitive um, movement from the, the baby into uh, the wise old man or the wise old woman in the mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't really understand the difference anymore when I look at the neurological uh, uh, brain construction, uh, which says that they're, they're, they really are the same in, in, in many ways. Um, so I speak to a lot of organizers or owners of retreat centers, yoga centers around the world. And a lot of people are being born the question, okay, what is the appropriate yoga studio for the 21st into the 22nd century mm-hmm. um, that seemingly is materializing or literalizing too much the way we need to move our bodies in mm-hmm. very sacred ways? We can't really condition these things in in that sort of systematic way. Um, you know, instructive way that it needs to be this way, Who, who's got the better yoga, who's got the better permaculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's something a lot more uh, intrinsic, but also mm-hmm. uh, di- dialogic in nature that when intuition starts to see that it's there, we, we know that, okay, that is vibrating it. And I'm not just seeing it, I'm I'm experiencing what I'm seeing. So, um, Solitude is going to be important, but a community mm-hmm. that um, takes a certain amount of responsibility for the stages of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I feel that a lot of this is happening in Asia because of the way I explained how the uh, post-colonial mind mm-hmm. uh, that we used to perceive as you know, animist minds or uh, emotional minds or minds that aren't able to to think as well. You know, the prefrontal cortex isn't as active. The the emotional amygdala or the the basal ganglia, the, the reptilian brain, is more at work in these mm-hmm. primitive being that beings that we need to colonize. What what would it look like for uh, the meek or the voiceless who are actually maybe more wise? that there's greater structure in the chaotic, um, non-speaking, but also older cultures that uh, really took their time. I, I would, as a science-based spiritual person, I, I would um, look very much at the emerging philosophies and theories that would arise in uh, very unexpected places in India or China Mm-hmm. the Philippines, Africa, Vanuatu, um, as opposed to just what we read from the Hegelian, Kantian, you know, Western, traditional. Uh, it, you know, like Orientalism is a theoretical uh, construct within post-colonial theory that spoke about how the West actually began to understand itself 
during the uh, many epochs or stages, mm-hmm. it's been through through the ways it understood the East. You know, it 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 needed like an other in order to understand itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm seeing that within the spiritual awakenings within the East, there's actually an Occidentalism at work. Where uh, when you look at someone like me who's an Easterner. Um, as opposed to a lot of Westerners who are awakening into yoga, awakening mm-hmm. into meditation or energy or plant medicine, a lot of Easterners are actually awakening into the West mm-hmm. where we're able to harness Western, um, very Western epistemologies in ways the West doesn't really put together in the usual way. Just like a lot of Westerners are articulating and expressing yoga and maybe even in our dance in ways that are unexpected and just mm-hmm. really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's really interesting uh, your perspective on how the East is incorporating these uh, tools and uh, expressing while the West is doing the same, but adopting that inner mm-hmm. practice that the East has always um, been known for. Um, you've uh, you facilitated uh, inner dance and process for thousands and thousands of people. I rarely know somebody that has uh, engaged in in so many sessions, either one on one or groups, fifty people, sixty people, I don't know, even a hundred. Um, you've gone to India to facilitate this to schools. Uh, you you're constantly moving around. Uh, is there some and you and you also work with lots of westerners such as myself is there a common thread like uh, if we could pinpoint maybe for the more analytical mind what's the problem is there like is there something that we all lack that we all miss and that's why we keep going into this self-destructive pattern mm-hmm. yeah um that's i mean we could just keep going on and on but to go into a universalist notion of this and that's what you're trying to get to the bottom uh, of. Um, I find that the problem happens within language itself. Mm-hmm. I speak about language because language, um, according to Lacanian thought, language structures the unconscious so that when people do go into that, which is even beyond the unconscious, uh, they go in, they go beyond language, they transcend language. So language is a construct. And uh, there's something about language that draws us near, nearer and nearer to the truth. But there's something in language that also pushes away the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. There's something in language that constructs truths. But there's something about language that delays or displaces truth. Mm-hmm. Um, which we might say localizes truth. I feel that... Um, we have had to grow into the world by symbolizing it, by experiencing it through symbols, by constructing it in a way that we could understand it through a conceptual way or through ideas, through words. And so a lot of the spiritual transformations are happening because we are destroying language itself. We're destroying Mm. how we have been used to conceptualizing the world. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of um, alienation. There, there's a mm-hmm. lot of interruptions and disruptions taking place in our relationships with the mind, 
you read a lot of spiritual books, a lot of these books, a lot of these new articulations say that the mind isn't good, the mind is evil. A lot of even old traditions have spoken this, but mm -hmm. I don't think this is a good way to go. I think uh, a more productive or healthy way is to, to look at it, mm -hmm. uh, to perceive perception itself and to look at, uh, okay, what is the construct? And uh, Spiritual people are very, very close uh, in a way that scientists may be good at understanding or observing the construct, but they don't really experience it per se. And because experience is also another way of perceiving if spiritual people also develop uh, tools of perception that are very appropriate to where they already are at, um, I think this is where we're able to push the evolutionary stages that are otherwise being delayed because um, spiritual transformations doesn't always need to bring people into chaotic forms. Uh, that just seems baby-like or childlike, childish even. So uh, I feel the problem that I've been working out, um, and I can't really verbalize this so much in a podcast. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm seeing the construction, and there's a lot of consensus or agreement in the realms of psychology or linguistics, anthropology, uh, that are, in fact, speaking about this grid, a very, very basic grid uh, that is the meta construct. And that grid is basically called the time-space continuum. Mm -hmm. People going to spiritual states are going to space as opposed to time. It's like the becoming space of time as opposed to when we go into the world, it's becoming time of space. Uh, there's a new time-space continuity that ironically has to be experienced through the discontinuity, which is, which is I think, funny. Uh, people breaking apart their own story in order to access the larger story. It's like they're creating a discontinuity from their personal continuity. Mm -hmm. And the more they stay in it, in that zone of proximal development, in that very safe spiritual space, it's like the discontinuity starts to become the new continuity, mm -hmm. which is like the larger story, you know, like the nar larger narrative is mm -hmm. at work. Um, I think the problem is we need a new body. <laughs> we need a new embodiment. We also need a new mind. What is a mind built on unity, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't going to be egoic, but it's actually going to be more intersubjective, which is a lot more wise from a social collective consciousness perspective. Um, but for that, we need a new language, we mm -hmm. need a new way of speaking and listening to each other. Like one quality they, uh, that I observe in people who are starting to truly get it in very slow ways is they seem to develop a quality where they speak only as they're truly listening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like people who uh, truly are able to write in very authentic ways, it's because they're, they're reading as they're writing. Like to, to write the book of the world, you have to read the book of the world. Mm -hmm. and, and we didn't have the brain, we didn't have the mentality where that was possible uh, years ago or decades ago. That's but that AI the, you were talking about, right? We yeah, could say. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like uh, <clears throat> when you look at how some media theorists were looking at the advent of the digital age um, in the past, like through people like Walter Ong or Marshall McLuhan, uh, a lot of media theorists as well who looked at the channels of the mind uh, from oral tradition, which is tribal culture. Um, the westernization of humanity had a lot to do with the age of literacy mm-hmm. or the invention of the printed word. You know, when we invented the Gutenberg printing press, mm-hmm. we basically westernized uh, consciousness itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, when we invented um, digital consciousness, you know, like electronic thought, it's actually going back to the tribe, that which is called secondary orality. Because you know how like um, uh, you can't really speak to a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's ba- basically authored by the authority, like wh- whoever wins the battle is able to write the story. And there's not much feedback uh, in that system of communication. But when we became more digital, uh, we're able to harness, um, exchange, transact information uh, with so much more uh, um, feedback or, or cycle, rhythm, vibration, resonance. Um, the, the brain then has been transforming so radically uh, through the innovation of these things called social media, Wikipedia, or, or what have you. Uh, there's something I, I am hoping people aren't just using um, for highly narcissistic or subjective purposes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that we start asking very important questions as to what exactly is this iPhone uh, doing to me, even as I'm uh, hyper-developing ways of um, storing data, accessing mm-hmm. data, sending data. You know, it's not just becoming, it's not just making us become so much more egoic, more image based, but uh, there's an intelligence there. I think in these um, technological elements that uh, isn't just the, the way it seems based, the, the way it's being uh, cr- criticized. There, there's actually something very beautiful at work. Mm. Uh, uh, but it, I think it's the spiritual element. Uh, which for me isn't even spiritual. Uh, I don't like using that word because uh, it generalizes things too much. I I feel um, everything is spiritual anyway. So the more we're able to move into um, something that looks intercultural, uh, we're seeing the building blocks here. There has to be a more intelligent way of making reference Mm -hmm. to, to things, you know, like when people experience the source, people just say, oh, there's so much energy there. Uh, there's so much energy. But eventually there are people who move away from just generalizing it as life force or prana or, or she. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're, they're seeing layers, they're seeing domains, they're seeing structures there. They're beginning to describe things that are indescribable. They're beginning to see even colors that they don't have names for because uh, colors are just vibrations and resonances. What would it be like to see colors beyond the infrared or ultraviolet spectrum that the human eye is situated in? Now that we're advancing so fast, um, we're actually not prepared. There's a shock. There's a numbness at work 
almost an addiction at work that is resisting uh, something that we're already inhabiting. It's like we're already there. This place called the it, you know, like I get it, I see it. Mm-hmm. What is it? <laughs> there, there's a new languaging that's beginning to construct something that wasn't uh, constructible or perceivable before. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritual people do need to brush against the grain. They need texture. So some mm-hmm. of them will have to go back to the books. Some of them will have to experience dialogue like in different ways. And in that growth process, I think we will recognize people who are um, somewhere in between these binaries that are mm-hmm. uh, set up to do very, very important uh, things, I think. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Well, yeah, there's, there's so much still to, to learn and to navigate. Um, I have one, one last question, Pai. Okay. Um, I'm curious, if you had to give an advice to yourself 20 years ago, what would it be? Did you say 10 or 2? 20, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, 20, 20 years ago. Um, it would be simple. Uh, I do two words, which could be a mantra. Mm, trust everything. Trust everything, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, trust everything, the high and the low. Trust. Um, for me, trust is cognition. Like, um, it's like I don't know this, so I need to trust it. But the fact that I'm going to trust it means I knew it prior to my knowing it. For me, trust is a way of knowing. It's, mm. a, it's a deeper perception. It's like I, I, I trust this space so i need to go there i don't know why but there's something inside Mm. me that knows why ahead of time Mm. so uh, i feel like war conflict happens when we start to stop understanding that everything really does happen for a reason Mm. Uh, i've been through so much hardships as a child all the way up until even my spiritual um uh, processes like suffering doesn't really go away it's just that um we perceive suffering not as suffering anymore a- after a while uh but there's something about trust that is the constant uh so i i probably had that innate in me because trust is also a cultural norm uh that is a default mechanism in countries like the Philippines or even Mexico, in, in a way, you know, the Divine Mother is awake by default in uh, the deeper layers of the culture that also has lost certain amounts of that trust. Mm. Um, so despite that I knew it before, I, I don't think I could not say it enough to myself 20 years ago, two years ago, two days ago, or uh, 200 years ago. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. As soon as you said uh, that two word mantra, I, I had a a rush of uh, like goosebumps, <laughs> you know, because um, uh, when when we just met after our inner dance training and Bianca and I, we were really excited and we were like uh, starting our retreats and whatnot. And we, we, ha- we wanted to plan everything. And you were like, oh, no, guys, this is this is now how it's going to work from now on. <laughs> now you don't plan. You just trust. 
And it has become my mantra too, because it's like, I have no idea where I'm heading. I just trust that everything is as it has to be. Uh, wow. Thank you so much for those last words. I, I want to acknowledge uh, your time and thank you so much for uh, joining us today for the Urban Awakening. I find that um, everywhere we go and, and we share inner dance, they always wonder who is Pi, you know? We always tell them, whatever image you have in your mind, it's not like that. Pi is one of the most humble persons. Uh, I could, I yeah. even sometimes describe you with this Buddhahood, you know, like so simple, oh, no, no. no words, <laughs> and you, you say everything. So in, uh, on behalf of everybody that has uh, been through an inner dance process, I want to thank you. I want to thank yeah. you for my own development and everybody mm. that has been able to experience that uh, loss of speech but knowing that everything is the way it has to be, right? Trust, mm. universal trust. Um, mm. Thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> I'm excited to, to have a, a new podcast with you when I'm in Maya with, uh, mm. so, so we can uh, be live. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much and uh, blessings to you and Maya. Uh, I want to say just one thing. Mm -hmm, um, I've, been in, I've been in hibernation for more than a year now and um, I actually had to consider okay like okay <laughs> a podcast it's quite um, a public way of sharing and uh, there's something about my mind that goes through these organically but I'm really glad that it was you who um, initiates me back in the world in this way and agreeing to do a, a public process mm -hmm. I feel very safe um considering just not just the way honored uh, this global work that we do but um, considering my own spiritual awakening took place um 18 17 years ago 19 i'm not even sure maybe 20 <laughs> through my meeting met with a, a strange mexican in california uh who told me about all these things that would take place again and again and i feel like i'm actually only beginning to understand many things mm. that he spoke about so there's something very clear about the way you as a young person uh embodies things so quickly uh and in an accelerated way that i find very very inspiring mm. so thank i find this much. moment very appropriate so mm. i think it's me that needs to say thank you in so many ways too mm. um thank you yeah. I, I would like to add that uh what you were saying, you've been in hibernation and you're in Palawan, which is not the easiest place to get. It's like far. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, um, I, I find that like right now, that's why, that's why that pushed me to do this, um, uh, podcast urban awakening, because we need people like you showing up, you know, and reminding us about that trust. If you went through what you went and you lived two years in a remote island living out of coconuts, bananas, and you didn't only survive, but you thrive. Uh, we need people like you sharing your, your story and, and, and the insights and, and the beautiful work you're doing. So again, thank you very much. And I'm excited. Um, uh, also, one last thing. What now? What's next? What's next? Where, where are we going? Uh, um, I think we've spoken about it already um there there's another uh, polarity i think coming about 
and mm -hmm. uh, it's it's I think the Western within the Eastern. Uh, I was listening to uh, a dialogue happening between a man named Tu Wei Ming and uh, Homi Baba, an mm -hmm. Indian and a Chinese. And Tu Wei Ming quoted um, another man, what, this wise saying that the, the future of Asia is the past of Europe. Oh. And the future of Europe is the past of Asia. Hmm. So uh, it's not really those two continents, but there's something about uh, the becoming of each other at work mm -hmm. that deserves um, a way of listening to each other mm -hmm. that I find is something new. Um, there's a, a metacognition, uh, an awareness becoming aware of itself that uh, I think is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, I, I, for me, this next step isn't just so much about doing, like, what do we do? What are the instructions? But um, an awareness of the binaries mm -hmm. or, yeah, the dualisms. Um, mm -hmm. For me, that's my challenge. Like, um, mm -hmm. let, let's, let, let's look at difference and sameness um, in this light that we, we are all family and we <laughs> all be, bear the same uh, but we walk different paths mm -hmm. that, that are not embodied in us in, in different ways. And as we let go of our own um, attachments to what we find uh, we know, mm -hmm. what does it mean to surrender into the unknown within each other? Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, I think it's going to become easier and easier mm. uh, because of the internet and budget air, air, airplanes <laughs> and what have you, you know. Mm, okay. Uh, we're beginning to look and sound like each other in more and more different, more more and more ways. Mm. Mm. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, thank you. Bye. <laughs>